Magazine, your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and I'm back from London, from taking a week off, and I'm so excited to walk you through Universal Orlando Resort because I genuinely love it here, and I think by the end of this episode, your wheels will be turning that you should maybe visit there too. Now, I know in the intro, I'm supposed to talk about whatever, what's going on in my life, this week's episode. But the only thing that is top of mind (laughs) is the gigantic news dump that came today. I'm recording this Monday morning. This episode obviously comes out on Wednesday. Uh, That H2O Plus, the products that we have all used to clean ourselves while on property at Disney parks and resorts, are calling it quits. There's going to be no more sea salt lotion. Like, I I truly am struggling to comprehend this in a way where I'm, I'm mourning it. I'm actually mourning it. I cannot believe it. Um, I have put some links on my Instagram in the shop links, highlight the link out to the products on Shop Disney where they are currently on sale. But I even went on the website today once this happened and they're like, go to Amazon and buy it until it's sold out. Like they're they're just done. They're done. Um, they are... I didn't read into like the legalese of H2O Plus shutting down and it appears that they are going to like honor their brand partnerships until mid-2023, something like that. But I truly don't I don't know anything, and I don't even know who to call the PR contact I had. It came bounced back. The email doesn't exist anymore. I truly don't know uh, what to do. It was a third-party one. I don't want to make it sound dramatic, like H2O+. Like, they just, like, turned off the lights and walked out of the door of their office. Um, It is really, really bonkers. Really bonkers. And I, I'm still in mourning and in shock. I know the news of today of this week was supposed to be Disney Plus Day, but I can't focus on Disney Plus Day when the sea salt products are gone. Like, what's what lotion are we going to be lotioning our bodies with in mid to late 2023 while on property? Oh, God. I don't want to bring down the whole mood before this episode, but I simply had to share. Now, now that I'm back in the States, I am so excited to discuss Universal Orlando to the point where I'm just going to get into it because we have so much to discuss, so much Wizarding World of Harry Potter, so many tips to give. And especially, I want to get into why you should visit Universal even if you have a Disney World vacation planned. Because you can cram a lot of it in in one day. And frankly, I think it's worth it. We'll get right into it. But if you are as sad as I am about H2O Plus shutting down, please let me know. Let me know that I'm not alone in this. See you soon. Guide Guest Part 2, colon, Universal Orlando Resort. Yes, we are deep in our August coverage of theme parks, and we'll be rounding it out next week with Walt Disney World, which I feel like is going to be 19 hours long, but I'm going to do my best to edit it and rein it all in. As for this week with Universal... Regardless of if you think you're a diehard Disney person never to cross the threshold into another theme park resort, I'm going to convince you why your next trip to Florida needs, needs to include a day at Universal Orlando, even if you've never considered it before. But alas, whether you've been to Universal's two theme parks plenty of times and just want to hear my favorites, are curious about what exactly that volcano water park thing happens to be, or you have a Universal trip planned but have no idea how things work in this part of town, this episode will give you all of that information and so much more. So I cordially welcome you into our very amusing guide to all things Universal Orlando Resort. 
To give you the lay of the land, this Floridian theme park extravaganza consists of two traditional parks, Universal Studios Florida and Universal's Islands of Adventure. The first, Universal Studios Florida, is home to many movie-inspired attractions themed to everything from Despicable Me and Transformers to E.T. and Men in Black, while Universal's Islands of Adventure, which has more of a mythical backstory and is surrounded by a large body of water in its center, contains a whimsical Dr. Seuss land, Jurassic Park experiences, some dated comic book references, and weirdly, even a Marvel-themed land. But the real reason we're talking about these parks is because of their absolutely impeccable Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Whether or not you're interested in the big kid coasters and other thrill rides that Universal boasts, if you're into the Harry Potter books, the films, or even theme parks in general in the slightest bit, this one-of-a-kind experience needs to be seen to be believed. In an act of true corporate brilliance, the Harry Potter-themed land is split between Universal's two theme parks. The Diagon Alley portion with Gringotts Bank is located at Universal Studios, while Hogsmeade and Hogwarts Castle are both at Islands of Adventure. The flawlessly executed Hogwarts Express train, which requires admissions to both parks in one day to board because of course it does, conveniently connects both lands directly and offers different experiences for either direction. Both theme parks, as well as the Universal City Walk downtown district, are located walking distance from each other. Universal also has Volcano Bay, a newer quote-unquote water theme park, as they like us to call it, with an impressive array of slides and a 200-foot-tall volcano, which... <laughs> It's nothing to sneeze at. As well as Epic Universe, the massive new third theme park that is slated to open there in 2025. And if that wasn't enough, there are also seasonal events included with admission for Mardi Gras and Christmas time, as well as Halloween Horror Nights, the leading Halloween event in the nation that is a separately ticketed bonanza of absolute frights. Universal in general, though, is a little less thematic than a Disney park, and the IP here isn't as holistic or branded like with Disney's family of studios and properties, but Universal really makes up for it in simplicity and ease. Yes, ease, a word you don't hear these days with theme parks, because Universal harkens back to a time before the pandemic where you didn't need to make a reservation or honestly, any declarative plans at all before rolling up to a theme park. You'll, you'll need admission, obviously, but there are no park reservations, no need to book return times for anything really on your phone, and nothing much to worry about besides maybe a virtual queue here and there, knowing what you want to do, where you want to eat, and how to fit it all into a day, which, ta-da, will be the focus of this podcast, so you are completely covered. There's even a simpler version of expedited right entry here that is called Express Pass. Now, it does cost money, which we'll break down later in this episode, but it's easier to use. It's not time sensitive. And get ready for this. Truly, I hope you're sitting down. It is included for free with certain hotel reservations. Oh, yeah, we'll get into it because there's some math you can do here to make it worth your while. But anyway... We're going to cover everything from ticket types to what the heck Universal City Walk is to answering once and for all if it is worth jamming a day here into your Disney World vacation and how to do it. And if you're wondering if the rumors are true, will I get sick on Universal rides? Maybe. So we'll be chatting about all of that too. 
best way to tackle Universal Orlando Resort is to talk about the best thing there first, Wizarding World of Harry Potter, and then discuss the rest of the parks. Wizarding World is split into two halves, Diagon Alley in Universal Studios Florida and Hogsmeade Village and Hogwarts Castle in Universal's Islands of Adventure, with the Hogwarts Express transportation connecting them both. The entirety of the lands here are fully in canon, meaning there's no Pepsi, no pizza, everything from moaning Myrtle talking to you in the restroom to stroller parking exists within the world of these films and books. A Harry Potter theme parkland may seem like a given now, but Orlando is the first and only to have both halves of it. And because of that, I strongly believe this is the best themed land ever to be built. Ever, 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 ever. Whether you've read every book, have only caught a couple movies, or are full tilt committed to wearing a Hogwarts robe in Florida's swampy climate, props to you, Hogsmeade Village and Diagon Alley will together blow you away. Real magic wands, a backdrop that feels like a film set, and butterbeer served three ways? It's an aspirational muggle's heaven on earth. We'll start with attractions at Universal Studios Florida's Diagon Alley, then discuss those at Islands of Adventure's Hogsmeade Village, and then get into the shopping, dining, and entertainment across both of them. I'm hard-pressed to pick a favorite, but between the design of the two lands themselves... Diagon Alley takes the cauldron cake, mostly because of the fact that the entrance is hidden. No, seriously, it's tucked behind an opening in a wall, and you can't see it when you're walking past. When you spot the night bus, you can take a turn, and you'll emerge into an entirely new land, of which the scale just immediately pulls you in. Now, what I would give to be a fly on the wall at that meeting when they said that their new multi-multi-million dollar land would not be seen, would not be visible from the regular walkways in the park? Whoo, I wish I could know. Anyway, here at Diagon Alley, tall brick buildings with protruding windows and intriguing shops welcome you as your eyes lead towards the big showpiece, a massive fire-breathing dragon perched atop Gringotts Bank. It legit breathes fire throughout the day, even when it's hot out, and you can feel its warmth. It's it's incredible. We'll get into everything you'll find on these cobblestone walkways and twisty-turny escapes soon, but the main attraction here in Diagon Alley is Harry Potter and the Escape from Gringotts. It's a can't-be-missed 3D dark ride indoor coaster hybrid that sees guests traveling through the famed Wizarding Bank's tunneled vaults, deep down into the elevator shafts, and even coming face-to-face with Voldemort in one of the greatest theme park rides ever made. There was only one true attraction here on this Diagon Alley side, but Hogsmeade Village at Universal's Islands of Adventure makes up for it with three. Over on that portion of Wizarding World, you'll encounter... Hogsmeade Village's snow-topped roofs and idyllic chimneys, as well as the famed School of Wizarding and Witchcraft known as Hogwarts. Now, are these two as close as they are here in the books? No, but we'll allow it because it's more convenient and it looks real good. (laughs) This is where you will find one of the best roller coasters at Universal Orlando Resort. Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. It has earned the annoyingly long name because here you will grip the handlebars of a motorcycle or hop in its sidecar because, yeah, there's two different vehicle types and travel blisteringly fast through the Forbidden Forest in a series of building ruins, past some magical beings, and even encounter some unexpected surprises on this seven launch coaster hitting speeds up to 50 miles per hour. I don't want to give too much away, but 
This one is a doozy. It is fast. It is full of surprises and so much fun. There are actually two coasters in the land, technically, uh, the second being Flight of the Hippogriff. Now, it's cute, it's well-made, but at the end of the day, it is a coaster for children whose ride time is about 30 seconds. The major flaw of Flight of the Hippogriff could be fixed by letting you ride around twice in a row. Immediately, this very cute ride, which even has an animatronic, would be excellent. Why don't they let you ride twice in a row? But anyway... Heed my warning that you'll be sorely disappointed if you wait it out in line. So with kids, if it's kind of the only option, it makes sense. For adults, not really worth it. And while that Hagrid coaster is the newest attraction in the land, having opened in 2019, the centerpiece attraction of this half of Wizarding World is Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey. It's somewhat of a counterpart to Diagon Alley's Gringotts ride. But here, the hallowed space you'll be traveling through is Hogwarts itself. And even the queue is an attraction of its own. I mean, it has it all. Dumbledore's office, a defense of the dark arts classroom, talking portrait walls. By the time you come face to face with the Whomping Willows, squeak past Dementors, and adjust to the ride's innovative feeling of broomstick flying, you'll be wondering when you can hop back on and do it all again. Now is probably a good time for us to discuss nausea. <laughs> yep, nausea. Because of the unique ride system used on Forbidden Journey, which is nearly impossible to explain over audio, but essentially a seat on top of a joystick that moves along a track. See what I mean? Real tricky. Uh, it tends to trigger nausea within a decent amount of people. In fact, <laughs> One of my closest friends is my old PR person at Universal Studios Hollywood, and we routinely laugh about how I made her go on twice when it opened, and she had to tough it out because she couldn't admit to someone she just met that it made her extremely queasy, and she did not feel good after after being forced on by me because I'm like, I need to see the details again. Regardless, if you can get sick, you will probably be triggered from this ride. My recommendation is to try to eat after, not before, consider taking Dramamine, and even watch videos on YouTube about the ride's construction to understand what it'll be like. Since we we really don't have any other theme park rides at Disney or Universal that use this mechanism called a KUKA arm. If you Google it, there's a lot of stuff on it. There's a lot of stories because uh, it was really revolutionary, but it also just uh, kind of doesn't jive with some people's bodies. And if you do go on and you start to feel badly once you're on it, I recommend closing your eyes during the scenes where you're flying over Hogwarts, which is the only part for me personally that triggers a little tummy ache. If you're wondering if these rides are too scary for you, which is another component, because we're in an interesting space where we're in a deeply themed theme park land, but these rides do not mess around. I'm going to give you, this might be mildly spoilery, so if you're concerned, skip ahead 15 seconds, but otherwise, here is what you need to watch out for. Gringotts has some drops, Forbidden Journey has a slightly backwards moment, and Hagrid's is a fast-as-heck coaster with a little drop element you won't be expecting. Okay, we're good? We're good. I think we made it. If you skipped ahead, welcome back. And then there's the Hogwarts Express. As we've mentioned, since Universal are evil geniuses, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter is split between two different theme parks. And if you think, oh, we'll do one park tickets on one day and then visit the other park the next day and see it again. Oh, they've thought that through because to reiterate, to board the Hogwarts Express, you need a two-park, one-day ticket, or what they call park-to-park -park admission. It's their version of what Disney would call a park hopper, to board in either direction. So you need 
admission to go to both parks in one day just to get on this transportation. Now, is Hogwarts Express necessary? Of course not. With the weight it can sometimes take to get on board, it can be just as long or even faster to walk between the two parks. But if you have the right kind of admission, you almost have to do it just because it's good. (laughs) It's really good. The car itself, the footage playing in the window display, even the queues on either side, the very London-esque King's Cross station with platform nine and three quarters and the Hogsmeade station, they really do feel like the movies. And if you have Express Pass, which we'll get into shortly, it works here too. The one additional experience that's not technically an attraction or transportation, but it's not a regular old shop, is Ollivander's Wand Shop. I get asked questions about this constantly, but it's part entertainment, part shopping, part prices right, hope you get picked to come on down high stakes contest. The attraction portion is an interactive show experience that brings the entire story to life and I think is absolutely worth doing, especially if someone in your family or in your group is a huge Harry Potter fan. There's a bit of a show, it's magical, and then one lucky wizard in the crowd will be chosen and paired with a wand, like in the books, before everyone exits through the gift shop and a multitude of wands are for sale for all. Don't worry, if you get chosen, you still have to buy the wand if you want to keep it, but Fair warning, if you happen to have children or adults in your party, I mean, I relate, who would be upset about not being chosen, just keep that in mind. You also don't need to do the whole show to buy a wand. The store can be accessed freely, and you can browse all the different kinds of wands they have, and wands are also sold at some of the carts, so you can grab them and go. This would be a classic theme park cash grab, except the interactive wands actually work. They come with spell maps and allow guests to cast real spells throughout both Harry Potter theme park lands. And while I've seen a lot of themed merchandise in my day, nothing brings the origin story of this land to life more than these Wizarding World wands. Visitors can make objects move inside shop windows or literally make it rain in one certain instance. And if you're a bi-coastal sort, they also work at Universal Studios Hollywood. So you kind of get some bang out of it for your buck. How does it work? Well, besides the map you're given of different spell locations, you'll also see special medallions in the ground with an insignia of what the flick and swish movements are to cast a certain spell in a certain location. And if you're stuck, which can happen because it's a little tricky to get it just right, there's usually a helpful team member nearby at the more popular spell locations ready to give you some pointers. It's very fun, even for adults, and I highly recommend doing it. There are also, which I learned in just fact-checking some of this, that there are a few mystery spells in Diagon Alley I did not know about. They wrote about it in Orlando Informer, and I will put that link in the show notes because apparently there's about two or three, I think it was two spells that aren't listed anywhere, but you can do them and certain things happen. Using the interactive wands is fun. It's a very cool thing to do together as a family. And I think souvenirs are best when they actually enhance your experience, which these do. The price point for interactive wands these days does start around $59. But honestly, you're going to get suckered in. (laughs) So just be prepared because there's no way you're going here if you are a fan and not using one of these. 
Thankfully, something you'll look forward to spending money on is dining. Wizarding World, both halves of it, are my go-to when I am at Universal Orlando Resort to the point that I barely eat anywhere else. The food is just so legit in Wizarding World. Why would I eat the saddest Dr. Seuss pizza when I can have a full-on British pub feast? But whether you're elated at the idea of bangers and mash or not. We'll get into it. Just you wait. The main attraction here, of course, is butterbeer. Now, you can find it sold as fudge in the shops, as a potted creme at both restaurants, which is excellent, and even as ice cream. But if you're going to Wizarding World of Harry Potter, you need to try butterbeer in one of its three true beverage forms, hot, cold, and frozen, all of which are non-alcoholic. There is a massive debate among Harry Potter fans as to which is preferable. And while I do understand and respect the appeal of a hot butterbeer, you simply will not find me drinking one nor recommending you do that in the literal humid swamp that is Orlando, Florida. So I say follow your heart and the temperature outside. You can find butterbeer easily at multiple locations in both Diagon Alley and Hogsmeade Village. So if you do visit during the holidays and it's chiller out, definitely take advantage of hot butterbeer, which many fans prefer. Otherwise, I generally almost always get frozen butterbeer over cold simply because the cold consistency is less less preferable to me. I don't drink regular beer and that's kind of what that is. It's just like a like a cold drink with a little a little foamy topper, but the frozen is more of a slushy and I am into that vibe. And if you're traveling with your family or just really don't care about germs, uh, I always prefer to split it because it's really sugary and for me, knocks me out, makes me so tired. But it's also pretty pricey at $7.99 a pop. If you're wondering what it tastes like or why it's so revered, well, we've got a podcast episode all about that. In our episode, Everything You Don't Know About Theme Park Food, Part 1, we spoke to Rick Florell, who not only invented the butterbeer we enjoy today, which had never been invented before, it only existed in a book, but gave us some inside information on the best dish across the two lands at either restaurant, fish and chips. My favorite. I'm so grateful to have personally gotten to the bottom of why they're so good. And it's because the fish used in these fish and chips is no joke. It's sustainable cod caught and delivered to Universal a day and a half after it is pulled out of the sea. All the food here is fresh, not frozen, made from scratch, and that's why dining at Harry Potter is so legit. If you're curious to hear more, I've put that episode in the show notes, and I highly recommend listening because it gives context for all of the praise I'm about to give these restaurants. Now, between the two lands, the three broomsticks at Universal's Islands of Adventure in Hogsmeade is more meat forward, which I say is someone who understands a lot of people have dining restrictions. This menu is packed with smoked rotisserie chicken, spare ribs, a smoked turkey leg, smoked chicken salad, and a shepherd's pie with ground beef and lamb. The best vegetarian options here are the leek soup, the uh, questionable mushroom pie platter, a few potato wedge, roast potato side options, and the kids' mac and cheese. So for my veggie friends, this might not be the number one place for you. The Leaky Cauldron at Universal Studios Florida, their main Wizarding World eatery, it has more aggressive British food than its counterpart, but you know what? They went for it, there are more options, and it's my preferred of the two. 
This menu includes bangers and mash, aka sausages with mashed potatoes. It's very good. Toad in the hole, a traditional British food, cottage pie with beef and veggies, fisherman's pie with shrimp and salmon and cod. Um, For those, they're basically baked under a potato crusted topping. They're great. We got scotch eggs. We got uh, beef, lamb, and Guinness stew in a bread bowl. Heavy for Florida, but we're powering through. And we've even got one of my favorites, which does not get enough attention. The Plowman. It's a real, like, personal pick and mix of cheese and bread and tomatoes and lettuce and salad and pickles and scotch eggs. And while they say it's for two people, it's about four bucks more than a regular entree here. So live your truth, baby. If you want to pick at a little buffet of cheese and yummies, order it if it feels right. Now, with the menu being more extensive here, there are more options by way of a sausage or chicken sandwich, but there are better vegetarian options as well. So if you are veggie and you want to eat at a Harry Potter restaurant, I would go to Diagon Alley. There are two entrees to choose from, including a shepherd's pasty pie, which is a meatless beef, quote unquote, no brand listed. So clearly uh, Impossible Foods has not given Universal the coin they give Disney. It's a meatless beef and vegetable stew hand pie and an Irish stew, a vegan beef tip and potato stew with crusty bread and a side salad. I personally have not had either, but they sound pretty good. Both restaurants also serve breakfast, but the menu, once again, is a bit more interesting at the Leaky Cauldron in Diagon Alley. They have an egg leek and mushroom pasty, which sounds great, uh, an apple oatmeal flan with fruit and yogurt. But if you're feeling adventurous, there's even a full English breakfast at both of them. A full English breakfast complete with black pudding. Yeah, blood pudding. Blood sausage in a theme park. I love blood sausage. Don't knock it until you've tried it. I know that I'm not really speaking to my audience. Like, you guys aren't. We all commiserate over cheese and Mickey pretzels. Like, it's a tough sell to tell you blood sausage is where it's at. But I can't not recommend it. I can't recommend it. It's true to theme. It's true to theme. It's delicious. And I love it. Uh, Sorry, vegetarians listening to this. You deserve better. (laughs) Now, beyond these main dishes... As we have mentioned before, you will not find soda in these restaurants. You truly will not find soda. You will be ordering a lemon squash or a fishy green ale, a fizzy orange juice, or even a pumpkin juice. Simply put, Wizarding World goes where Star Wars, Galaxy's Edge, and their hefty payday from the Coca-Cola company couldn't even dream of. I love this. I love that they stuck the landing and I will forever respect Universal for it. Themed alcoholic drinks are also available in both lands as well. There's wine, fire whiskey, specialty beers like Wizards Brew and Dragon Scale, along with British pours like Heineken, Stella, and even Strongbow Cider. Though one thing to flag in terms of drinks, water here is called Gilly Water and it comes in a teeny tiny bottle and costs $5.50. So definitely buy that elsewhere and bring it in. You can find butterbeer potted creme at both, which we mentioned, but the Leaky Cauldron in Diagon Alley once again has better desserts than Three Broomsticks because they also have sticky toffee pudding, which is exceptional. But whatever you do, don't fill up, don't eat too much of it, because my favorite theme park dessert anywhere, and I mean anywhere, exists here in Universal Studios Florida's Diagon Alley. Florian Fortescue's Ice Cream Parlor is one of my favorite ice cream shops anywhere of any country, any city. I love it here. They have butterbeer soft serve and kooky froyo flavors and scoops of ice cream. But the problem here is that you unfortunately cannot sample anything. But I am here to guarantee you will not be led astray and also to reinforce that 
Every flavor is kind of good, so you're really not going to mess up that badly. Soft serve flavors run the gamut from pistachio and Granny Smith to orange marmalade and toffee apple and, of course, butterbeer. But as tempting and delicious as those are, I gotta recommend the actual scoops of ice cream more. You can get two flavors swirled in the soft serve if they come in the same machine, you know, or two different flavor scoops with the hard-packed ice cream, which is why I love that variety. They've got chocolate chili, apple crumble, chocolate and raspberry, strawberry and peanut butter. But my go-to is usually Earl Grey and lavender paired with either clotted cream, salted caramel blondie, or sticky toffee pudding. I don't want to pressure you. You're on vacation. You can make your own choices. But if you go to Universal and you do not go here, you messed up. I, I don't know what else to tell you. Do not miss out on this ice cream. Do not miss out. Do not walk away thinking we'll come back later or be like, oh, we'll get dessert after dinner. Do not pass go. <laughs> like, you must dine here. This is my go-to routine when I visit Universal. And keep in mind, I'm here a lot, so I'm not in pure vacation mode, but usually my go-to is that I will wake up, go do Gringotts, and get an ice cream cone, sometimes two, right after for breakfast. You gotta eat them quickly because they melt in the Florida sun, which is why I try to get them as early as possible. I am obsessed. I have tried for many years to learn which company makes this ice cream, and if it's external, no one will tell me, uh, but if you happen to know, please call the Churros hotline. I have asked everyone I know, and no one will divulge the information. And as a sidebar, as an ice cream sidebar, they do have butterbeer ice cream at Islands of Adventure in Hogsmeade Village, but it's a peel top Sunday cup, which is the least preferred option. If you can get to Diagon Alley, go straight to Florian Fortescue's. Ooh, I'm going to lose my voice yelling about ice cream. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. Uh, and once you've had your sweet treat, you can help yourself to a gaggle of other delicious desserts inside Sugar Plums in Diagon Alley or Honey Duke's A Proper Candy Shop in Hogsmeade Village. I, for one, am partial to the cauldron cakes, a fire icing topped sticky gooey chocolate cake, which comes in a silicone cauldron you can keep and remains my kryptonite. I have not been able to confirm if those are back at Universal Orlando. They... It took a while during the pandemic to bring them back, but they should be there if they're not. Alert me and I will just I'll put it out into the universe. They need to. Uh, but alas, they do have yummies and many other take home candies to choose from. And while we're on the topic of shopping, boy, oh boy, is there a lot of it here. This is the one time you will actually want to shepherd your kids through each and every store, though, because beyond souvenirs, they are filled with unbelievable details straight from the books and are completely different each and every way you turn. I personally love the talking mirror at, oh my God, I've never said this out loud, Madame Malkin's robes for all occasions in Diagon Alley, and the monster book of monsters in Dervish and Bangs, Banges, and Hogsmeade. Ah, oh, the trouble of podcasting. I've written that a hundred times, but I've never said it out loud. Um, also, do not forget, in the dark corner of Diagon Alley, you will even find an entrance to Nocturne Alley, a dark and foreboding place that is absolutely worth a visit. And not just because it low-key has one of the coolest shops of anywhere. In Wizarding World of Harry Potter, you can also see Frog Choir and a Triwizard Spirit Rally near Hogwarts Castle, or Celestina Warbeck and the Banshees and a puppetry-style show in Diagon Alley. I know I've said it before, but I cannot emphasize how this is truly the greatest theme park land ever built. They are true to the stories, appear as though no expense was spared. And as someone who has been to the actual Harry Potter studio tour outside of London, the Diagon Alley here in Florida looks better in real life than the one actually used in the films. The level of detail and execution from every 
sign to cue to shop are bar none and worth spending time within. The opposite side of that coin, however, is what has happened since these lands opened with Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling and her deeply troublesome views on, in particular, trans women. I know people, including myself, grapple with being a fan of these stories and having been a fan for so long, while also knowing she will inevitably profit from any money you spend or your visit there. So something I personally like to do to kind of offset my purchases is to donate to a trans fund or organization or directly to someone's GoFundMe for their own transition whenever I spend money in these lands. Now, this is merely a suggestion. No one has to do this. But it is if it's something on your mind, which it is on mine as well, uh, which I know many Harry Potter fans can grapple with, it is the best solution I've been made aware of to kind of navigate visiting these places while also trying your best to not contribute to J.K. Rowling's outlook on life. It's not ideal and it's not a solution, but it's what I've decided to do to balance out the attention I pay towards these places and give onto her franchise. I think that's covered everything Harry Potter. So let's get into everything else at Universal Orlando Resort because there is so much more to get through. With that all set, let's talk about all the other great stuff you can do at Universal Orlando Resort's theme parks. Because while Harry Potter is the big draw here, it's not the only thing they've got worth doing. There are plenty of options for all ages. But again, all roads kind of lead back to nausea. Universal does have a bit of a stink on it for people assuming that they will get sick from some of their rides. And yes, there are a high prevalence of screen-based attractions here, some of which are known to trigger discomfort in guests. But don't be too concerned because I will flag anything in the rides we discussed that deserves the warning so that you can attend these parks feeling prepared for what lies ahead. We will start at Universal Studios Florida with lands like New York and San Francisco. It's vaguely movie studio backlot themed, but yeah, it all feels pretty pretend. Still, it's a ton of fun because at this park, we've got one of my all-time favorite theme park attractions, E.T. Adventure. This absolute blast of nostalgia is a must-do while you're here, not just because it is one of our last vestiges of what 90s theme parks felt like, but because... It still slaps. It's incredible. The journey begins with a dreamy young Steven Spielberg on screen, pleading for your help to help save E.T.'s home planet, followed by a bike ride, no pedaling required, through the forest and across the sky until you reach what I can only describe as the pinnacle of indoor water features within an attraction. My best friend Rebecca and I rode this a thousand years ago, and I couldn't get over the ride smell. Just the smell of an old attraction and stale water and a bit of hydraulics. I don't know what that is, but it's the most beautiful scent in the world to me, and perhaps exhibited nowhere better than right here. And if that and the promise of gloriously cute alien figurines wasn't enough, E.T. even says your name, or attempts to if you have a lot of vowels like mine, at the end of the attraction, and it is magical. Do not skip it. It's fun for the whole family. I naturally prefer rides like this where you physically move through space, which is why my top recommendations always include Revenge of the Mummy, a excellent indoor roller coaster featuring our super yaki patron saint Brandon Fraser that is on the precipice of reopening after a summer closure. There's also Transformers The Ride 3D, 
a gratingly loud but still cool adventure that puts you in a battle between the Autobots and Decepticons, terms of which I only know from writing this so much, but are basically just like big old metallic robot things. Also, which <laughs> anyone who likes Transformers is like, you gotta stop talking about that right now. They're just like big, they're like, it's like they're combined of stuff because they transform into cars, I think. Again, I don't know and I still like this ride, which is a pretty good recommendation for this ride. Uh, this ride does have screens and 3D goggles, but I find the nausea factor to be less on this than others. Just keep that in mind. And it delivers nonetheless. It's a good time. Men in Black Alien Attack has a little bit of those retro jollies to it, kind of like E.T., considering it's themed after a 25-year-old movie, but it still remains a pretty fun laser-blasting game. There are a few other attractions at this park that I don't love as much. Um, Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket is their centerpiece coaster. You see it right when you enter the park. And it's cool that it allows you to pick out what song will soundtrack your ride. But I just think the coasters over at Islands of Adventure knock this one out of the park, so it's no longer a priority for me, nor something I tend to recommend. Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem, and Race Through New York starring Jimmy Fallon are both fun, but also completely screen-based theater attractions, which can, tri which can trigger some people, but they're not too bad. I kind of like Race Through New York personally, because I one, I feel a little bad for it. And two, I think the building design is great and there are some fun elements to it, but I'm probably the only person who feels that way. And then there's Fast and the Furious Supercharge, which is basically a meme of an attraction. It's pretty terrible. It's it's terrible. It's a transplant from the Hollywood Studio Tour and Universal Studios Hollywood which simply should not have happened. Even the uh, the person at the parks who brought it over said it shouldn't have happened. And it is aging poorly. It is not worth your family's time. But if you are worried mostly about nausea, the one ride you need to skip over all of them is the Simpsons ride. Do not even think about going on the Simpsons ride. I do this professionally, as you all know. And this ride is essentially the only ride I cannot go on because it makes me so unbelievably sick. It's not worth it and is not worth feeling that bad, honestly. So please proceed with caution when it comes to that. That said, heed my warning, truly. Simpsons Land, however, is very cute and probably the most cohesive non-Harry Potter land within this park in terms of theming. Packed with specialty dining and plenty of references to the TV show like Duff Brewery and Lard Lad Donuts and a real Moe's Tavern and even Flaming Moe's where, yes, you can get a non-alcoholic Flaming Moe. It's pretty cool, but the ride is gonna make your tummy hurt. If you're hungry and you're out here and you are not heeding my Harry Potter dining advice, I would direct you to Today Cafe, a cafe themed to the Today Show, which everyone clowns on, but I'm sorry, if it's good enough for Al Roker, it's good enough for me. They have actual food for breakfast, and I mean actual food, not like a theme park waffle. Like, and like Mickey waffles aside, those are great. They have actual food, like overnight oats and chia seed pudding and things with nutrients, like a bagel with locks and egg whites and an egg sandwich on a croissant. And during the day, they have an endless array of sandwiches and salads and even avocado toast. I know I'm a millennial. I know I want to eat some real food when I'm in a theme park, which is very difficult to do at Universal. So because of that, I will stand today, Cafe, and I always will. I think now is a good time to mention that I am definitely losing my voice from yelling at you to go to Florian, Florian Fortescue's. <laughs> so uh, let's pray I get through the rest of this podcast.
All right, I'm chugging tea. I'm powering through. And I will not be wasting my breath recommending any of the other restaurants here because I've eaten at them. And you know, they're not they're not that good. There is one sleeper hit, however, at Schwab's Pharmacy. Friend of the podcast, Malia, alerted me to them having Dole Whip at Schwab's Pharmacy, which is an ice cream shop. It's a good thing to keep in your back pocket on hot days because Dole Whip and Universal, you gotta indulge. When it comes to entertainment, Universal has a couple of shows. The Universal Horror Makeup Show, Animal Actors on Location, but none of that matters because I'm sending you straight to the Born Stuntacular. It's an absolute feat. We did a full episode on it, which I highly recommend you listen to. It's in the show notes. But this show is unbelievable. It is a spectacle. I can't believe how impossible it was to pull off. And they deserve way more accolades for it, to be honest. It is unlike anything else you've ever seen and is a must do. Universal Studios Florida has great kids play areas themed to Curious George. And believe it or not, Fievel's Playland. But don't be freaked out by the deeply outdated IP because his is so good. Filled with a bunch of oversized objects to climb on and even a water slide. <laughs> Fievel lives on here. <laughs> it's just funny to think about that some of these characters exist here. But speaking of uh, character meets run the gamut from Scooby-Doo in the gang to the Simpsons cast to SpongeBob SquarePants, who is very fun to meet, to Transformers, literal big old Transformers, to Donkey and Shrek. Shrek lives on, even though his attraction has closed, for which I appreciate. There's also a character party zone, which is basically like it's a big dance party parade-like gathering with everyone from Dora the Explorer to Patrick and Squidward to Gru and the Minions and even Gru's daughters from Despicable Me. Note that some of the characters that you may be used to encountering from Universal's Superstar Parade. That parade ended earlier this year and a replacement has not been announced. So this is where you're going to want to go to meet those folks. And if you want even more interactions, head to DreamWorks Destination, which I swear to you is like a bar mitzvah where Kung Fu Panda and Trolls are the backup dancers. Truly, it is a full tilt dance party disco with Puss in Boots and the dudes from Madagascar. <laughs> I found it to be very fun when I went, even though it became quickly weird that I was in there alone writing emails on my phone. But regardless of who you are visiting with or just going solo, definitely pop by. It is high energy and so much fun. You'll see other folks wandering around and catch some live street atmosphere, as you may call it, with the Blues Brothers and more. But when the sun goes down, you really only have one entertainment option. Universal Orlando's Cinematic Celebration. It's a lagoon show with water projections honoring, you guessed it, cinema that runs on select nights. So be sure to check its availability and schedule in the Universal Orlando app. We will take a quick break. And when we come back, we will discuss Universal's other main theme park, Islands of Adventure. Anyone who's uttered the words Genie Plus knows firsthand that vacations require time, money, planning, energy. And if you put all that effort into enjoying your trip already, why not extend the highlights of that getaway into your everyday with FrameBridge? 
Put that vintage Epcot ticket up in your office and give it a little personality. Surprise your kid with their favorite character's autograph immortalized on the wall of their room. Framebridge makes it so easy and affordable to custom frame any photo, park map, or even cocktail napkin from a theme park hotel bar in just minutes. You can mock up exactly what it'll look like on their website before you even spend a dime. Things ship fast and they ship for free, and their colorful custom framing means they'll not only help you plan your gallery wall, but make sure your place looks cooler than the interiors of that mid-century modern home within Spaceship Earth. I love the mementos I framed with Framebridge so much that I rearranged my entire office so I can enjoy them daily. This is not a bit. This is this is true life. They're the backdrop to my podcast Zoom interviews, my Instagram stories, and even the goofy photos we take of Pearl tip-tapping away at my keyboard like she's a miniature employee. Too often, our favorite memories of a vacation are tucked inside our phone or shoved within a drawer, and it thrills me to no end that because of Framebridge, I can finally be surrounded by my memories. Framebridge makes custom framing easy, affordable, and enjoyable. And on top of that, their happiness guarantee ensures that no matter what, you'll wind up with something you love. To get started, head to framebridge.com, because your precious travel memories shouldn't have to stay in the past. That's framebridge.com. Welcome back. We are diving into Universal's second gate, Islands of Adventure, which is a real mashup between older, more amusement park adjacent experiences and truly a pinnacle of themed thrill rides. You've got lands themed to Jurassic Park and Dr. Seuss, and then you've got sections promoting comic strip characters from the 1930s. That's no joke, by the way. In this park, you can see both Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard reprising their roles from the blockbuster Jurassic World films, and Dagwood, a cartoon character your grandparents probably remember. It's truly bonkers, the mashup that's happening here amidst the vaguely water-themed lands like Skull Island honoring King Kong and the Lost Continent. They all surround a big lagoon at the center, after all, hence the name. But all of that aside, we got to get into the big show from the get-go because it is here that you will find the famed Velocicoaster, which is going to be one of the main reasons you're even going to entertain a comic strip-themed land within a theme park in 2022. We covered this glorious coaster back in 2021 and have an entire episode dedicated to it, which we will link to in the show notes. But essentially, this Jurassic World thriller has it all. A 70 mile per hour launch, encounters with dinosaurs, four inversions with only a lap bar restraint, a 155 foot top hat, which is essentially just a peak that you hit and drop from at 80 degrees, and even a wild real life raptor backstory. I wrote about that one for Vanity Fair if you want to Google around for it. It's an unbelievably tall and quick launch coaster with an inverted stall and all these other wacky coaster terms. But all you need to know is that it is fast and it is fun and it simply cannot be missed. Even if you're unbelievably nervous like I was and, I don't know, have to take an emergency pee break in the emergency ride load bathroom right before you go on, which I did. <laughs> so trust me, as someone who was petrified and persevered, you simply have to as well. The other big coaster here, besides Hagrid's and Wizarding World of Harry Potter, which we discussed, is the Incredible Hulk coaster. A similarly intense launch, tons of inversions, a zero-gravity roll on a track that was updated a few years back. It's solid, just like Velocicoaster, but 
It's kind of Universal's third best coaster at this point because the newer ones have really sapped up the spotlight. Still, if you like high-octane thrills, definitely add this one to the list, especially because the views above the lagoon as you're flying past it are good too. And while it's not a coaster, The Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man is probably the most deeply loved by Universal fans. Yeah, it's 3D and it has screens, but kind of like Transformers, which this predates by over a decade, you're less likely to get sick on this. And also, it's a fantastic ride. If I try to explain it, it's going to sound very lame. Doc Ock is on the loose and other baddies have stolen the Statue of Liberty. But trust me, you'll be speeding through New York City and coming face to face with villains. And if you've never been on, add this to your list. Though, don't expect to see Tom Holland or Andrew Garfield or even Tobey Maguire on this one, because again, we are themed to the comics. Oh yeah, Marvel Superhero Island Universal Orlando is yet again all about the old school comic books. Here, the MCU simply doesn't exist. If you're a big old nerd about this and you want to do the math on how Disney was able to open a Guardians ride in Epcot and Avengers Campus in California when Universal clearly has the Marvel rights, there's a lot of legalese online for you to parse through and more information about West of the Mississippi than you've ever wanted to know. But generally speaking, those films, all the films really, don't exist here, yet you can still meet the characters like Captain America and Spider-Man and sometimes even Doctor Doom and the Green Goblin and Wolverine, which is kind of funny, but hey, it's it's like the multiverse in real life. As for other attractions and islands of adventure, there are a multitude of water thrill rides here naturally. We've got Jurassic Park River Adventure, the classic plunging raft ride, Popeye and Bluto's Bilge Rat Barges. I've never said that out loud. Bilge Rat Barges, which is a Roaring Rapids style ride where you're in the circular vehicle and you're bouncing around. And Dudley Do-Right's Ripsaw Falls, a long flume unlike any other because you will, you will never get wetter. Mark my words. It's fun. It's chaotic. And it has more of a goofy story than you usually get on a water ride. But you are going to get soaked to the bone. So just arrive prepared. Over at Seuss Landing, you'll find yourself enveloped in a cartoony world that's adorable for all ages. The Caro Seussel is whimsy and wonderful. I love that carousel. And there's a one fish, two fish Dumbo-like spinner a very trippy cat in the hat ride. Proceed with caution. Uh, but my actual favorite here is the high in the sky Seuss trolley train ride. It is so fun. It couldn't be more family friendly. And it's really nice to be up in the air, elevated within the park on a little tram ride paired with the goofiness that we know and love from Seuss style narration. There aren't too many screen rides here in this park, but Skull Island Reign of Kong technically does count as one. Similar to Fast and the Furious, this was also peeled off the Universal Studios Hollywood tram tour. But this one is much more superior because the theming around it is really on point. It's a lot of song and dance for a short little thing in a big old vehicle, essentially surrounded by a tunnel of massive screens. But you won't get sick on this one because you also won't move much. It's followed at the end by a quick encounter with Kong. And honestly, it's not not bad, but it's not as exciting as many of the other attractions we've discussed. That's basically it, save for some play areas for kids, which are cool. There's a handful here, one in the Jurassic Park section, a Dr. Seuss-themed one on Seuss Landing, and even a ship play area in the vein of Popeye. Remember, Popeye, we got all the hit IP here. But there's one, ooh, this hurts me. There is one kid attraction 
I've never been on and want nothing more than to ride and have been denied it every single turn. It's called Terranidin Flyers, and you cannot ride this without a child. It pains me to even discuss. One day I'll do it. One day. I got to be an aunt to everyone so I can get on board. But it looks so fun. You supposedly, I wouldn't know because I can't go on it, glide up above the trees by the wings of a dinosaur and it looks incredible. If you have kids, please drag them on this in my honor so I can live vicariously because I just want to fly like a little dinosaur above the trees and it looks so fun. One day, one day. As I've mentioned before in terms of food, if I'm eating here, I'm eating at Wizarding World of Harry Potter. But there is one exception to that rule mythos. It's a sit-down restaurant in Islands of Adventure that won Best Theme Park Restaurant from Robert Niles' Theme Park Insider website for so many years that a banner would hang out front. Which makes me think, not why don't we do an award show every year with the sole intention of also getting a banner up somewhere? Like, if Mythos is hanging this big old thing on their rocky exterior, there's no reason Caramel Kush doesn't deserve one too. Or like any, any place in, in Disney World or Disneyland that sells the good nacho cheese. My wheels are turning. I don't know if we can pull it off. Uh, I don't know if anywhere but Mythos would hang a banner, but I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there into the universe. Regardless, oh no, I yelled too loud about ice cream. Robert Niles is correct. The food here is good, uh, but it's essentially just a solid Mediterranean restaurant with very strong air conditioning, but I've never not liked what I've eaten there. I, you know, I end up at Wizarding World more than here, but I just tend to prefer this to any other non-Wizarding World restaurant because your quick service options elsewhere in the park are going to be pretty bleak. I mean, they literally have a Cinnabon inside this park, for Christ's sake. I will give a special shout out to Green Eggs and Ham Cafe, which is basically just a whole menu of dishes served on top of tater tots. Mad respect. No complaints here. Pizza tots, brilliant. But more often than not, if you want me to eat nutrition, I will be at Mythos or inside Wizarding World. Character encounters at this park are pretty slim as well. There's no parade, and you're basically meeting classic comic book characters. Come on, kids, say hi to Betty Boop or Dr. Seuss characters, and that's it. There's some entertainment, including some performers within Wizarding World, which we discussed, but the only nighttime shows are also within Wizarding World. It serves as the park's only real nighttime entertainment. Really, Universal Orlando Resort isn't a hot spot at night, which is why I think it's such an easy fit into a Disney World vacation. The nighttime lights at Hogwarts Castle illuminate the facade of the famed Wizarding School in a short but enjoyable show, and even offer seasonal iterations during Halloween, Dark Arts at Hogwarts Castle, and a festive wintertime one that brings Christmas to Hogwarts Castle as you'd expect. From both parks, you can tell it's a lot of fun, but it is kind of not what you would expect if you are a Disney fan. Still, there are some idiosyncrasies of this place, some good, some not so good, that I want to get through. Universal also offers a good amount of single rider lines, which can save you tons of time. You can find them on things like coasters, like Incredible Hulk, as well as other rides, including Men in Black and Transformers. So check within the app to make sure they're active because these can change or even be added to from time to time. The parks have also utilized virtual queue in the past for a handful of rides, but it's not currently in use at either Universal Studios or Islands of Adventure. But as always, be sure to check the app prior to your visit, just in case, because these things can and will change over time. 
The best way to skip the line on a ride, though, is Universal Express. For an additional fee, you can skip the line at most attractions one time or with Universal Express Unlimited as often as you'd like. The best part, though, is that once you have it, you can walk up to any ride queue that takes it whenever you want. No reservations, no early morning wake-ups, no scheduling. You just get to visit these parks as many of us would prefer to. Let's break down the pricing, though. Universal Express, which provides one entry per ride, starts at $80 per person or $90 per person for both parks if you're visiting two in a day. Universal Express Unlimited starts at $110 per person for one park or $120 per person for two parks in one day. Personally, I think you're fine with the one and done, especially since the cost for Unlimited doesn't seem as worthwhile. One thing I do have to mention, which pains me because I wish it didn't exist, is that Universal Express does not work on every single attraction. Namely, it does not work on Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure and Velocicoaster at the time of recording this. It'll help to get you on everything else, but for those two, sadly, 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 it does not work. But if you have a family of three or four or five and you see those money signs racking up, let me remind you, the higher-end hotels at Universal Orlando Resort include this. And not only that, they include the unlimited benefit. We'll get into this when we discuss hotels, but if you're comparing hotel costs and vacation, it might make more sense to pay for a more expensive hotel room if you're visiting the parks for a short period of time, because it means you'll be able to do more and your family will live like kings within these parks. While their express pass options are, in my opinion, structured way better than what Disney's got going on with that mishigas of Genie Plus and Lightning Lane, there is a huge failing here, and it's lockers. For many rides you go on, you won't be able to bring a bag on board and will need to put your belongings inside a locker. Only the lockers are small, like the size of the smallest safety deposit box, envelope style mailbox small. If you have a backpack like, I don't know, a normal person because you're in the parks for 12 hours and need stuff with you, you'll have to pay for a locker while you ride, which is blasphemous to me. That should be illegal. Even more annoying is that previously, lockers would fit a bag and be linked to a fingerprint, which wouldn't work sometimes and then jam up the whole system with people waiting in line to get their stuff, which wasn't great. Now they're linked to your park ticket, which is is better. But holding onto a wispy piece of paper, if, say, you're wearing a dress, you don't have pockets and all your bags are inside a locker, isn't ideal either. So if you pack truly anything more than a fanny pack or a small tote bag, just keep in mind that you're going to get hosed into paying each and every time you check your bag at these newer locker bays. I also want to mention, for both of these parks, including the Harry Potter-themed lands, rides at Universal Orlando are, generally speaking, not as size-inclusive as they are at Disneyland and Disney World. If this is a concern for either you or who you're traveling with, I have some recommendations for you. There is a really great Facebook group called Disney Parks for Plus Size Guests. It's a very welcoming community that truly just tries to give each other advice and recommendations for their upcoming trips. Just join and search Universal within the group and you'll see a ton of posts. There are also plenty of YouTube videos about Universal ride vehicle size accessibility, which I highly recommend seeking out prior to your trip. Theme Park Express and Pammy Plus Parks both have a bunch of them and they are great resources. 
And then there's a whole third park we haven't talked about yet. Volcano Bay. They've got everything from solo water slides to wild group raft rides to a beach you can hang out on in front of, again, a gigantic Krakatau volcano taller than Cinderella's castle. And that volcano is plopped inside of a wave pool and the volcano has slides inside of it and an aqua coaster and a lazy river. And they also have a river that's not as lazy and kind of has rapids. And basically, if you're into water parks, you have to come here at some point in your life because it looks fantastic. I'm truly so excited about it. I said Cinderella's castle instead of Cinderella, which is a huge no-no. But I've truly never seen a spectacle like this in my life. So as much as I love Volcano Bay and have to recommend it and always have a gas there because there are so many slides and experiences and seeing that volcano in real life is awe-inspiring. The theme parks do remain number one in my heart, which is why we are focusing on them in this episode. Volcano Bay does have an interesting method of boarding attractions, though. When you arrive, you're given a Tapu Tapu device, which is basically like a smarter magic band. I wouldn't really compare it to Magic Band Plus because it has a a screen that words pop up on, but it's essentially like a a mix between a magic band and maybe a, a pager, something like that. This thing can open your locker, make payments if you link it up to your account, et cetera, et cetera. But most importantly, you'll use it to save your place in line because every attraction here uses virtual queue. That's not an exaggeration. Every single attraction uses virtual queue, all of the main rides and experiences. The point is that you don't wait in lines and you can just relax and enjoy your beach day, but you kind of end up waiting in lines anyway when you return. And the system is not my favorite thing in the world. And if this sounds as annoying to you as it does to me, do know that Volcano Bay also offers that universal express pass as well. Their basic level, which includes most of the rides, starts at 20 bucks a person, which is not bad. While Universal Express Plus Pass, which includes the most popular rides here at Volcano Bay, starts at 40 bucks a person. Again, the pricing, you know, it adds up if you have a larger family. But it can be worth it just to kind of skip out on this weird little system, especially if this resort is supposed to be your break from scheduling things. Do keep in mind, though, both types of passes allow one-time entry onto rides. They are not unlimited. While we're discussing that, we should probably get into ticketing as well. Keep in mind that we'd rarely cover something this boring, but your ticket type does directly parlay into what Harry Potter experience you're going to have, so it's important. Single-day tickets are available for all three parks and sold at three different seasonal prices for all of them. Park-to-park tickets are available between the two theme parks and for multi-day park-to-park tickets across all three. Keep in mind, if you want to go on the Hogwarts Express, you need a park-to-park ticket. It doesn't matter if you're going to be here for two weeks and you have one park per day. You will only be able to go on if you have admission to Universal Studios Florida and Universal's Islands of Adventure on the same day. Be sure to purchase tickets online and in advance, which can sometimes yield a discount. But also remember that this is the land of vacation packages. Step right up and hopefully wheel and deal your way right to a discount because depending on current promotions, you can win big. Be sure to check the special offers section of their website because it could pay off brilliantly. They do a lot of promotions and it's worth you saving money on. We're not going to dive too much into the seasonal events inside the theme parks, but I'll flag once again that Universal is known for Halloween Horror Nights, the pinnacle mainstream Halloween event in this country, mixing different scare zone walkthroughs, live entertainment, 
and absolutely bone-chilling haunted houses themed to everything from classic monsters to newer on-screen frights that change every single year. The level of detail is astronomical, and at the end of the event, they just, whoop, tear it all down. It's basically a theme park pop-up on its own, and worth buying tickets to at least once in your life if you are interested in that. Other holiday celebrations, though, like Mardi Gras with its New Orleans-style food, massive parade floats, and one-night-only concerts from popular musicians, are included with admission. And do know that they do Christmas time in a big way here, with Universal's Holiday Parade featuring Macy's famed balloon floats, which are so fun to see up close, plenty of the Grinch interactions, and even holiday festivities at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter with themed eats, wintry decor, and holiday entertainment. Which, of course, brings us to their main attraction that you don't need any kind of admission to enjoy, Universal City Walk. I personally weirdly enjoy it here, despite it being the purest Florida tourist trap that has ever existed. But Disney Springs, this is not. While they've jazzed it up with a few nicer entries, like Big Fire, a restaurant centered around a wood-fired grill that has actual, I would say, close to finer dining, the rest remains deeply cheesy in the Margaritaville Bubba Gump Hard Rock Cafe kind of way. That's hard to say. Margaritaville Bubba Gump Hard Rock Cafe kind of way. Woo! Because of its proximity to the park exits, this place can get slammed at night, so make sure to make dinner reservations in advance where you can. I'll begrudgingly recommend Cowfish, just because kids will find their silly cheeseburger sushi shtick to be fun, but I'm usually headed to Antojitos, which has legitimately good Mexican food and drinks. And their tortilla chips are bomb. Or, wildly, Toothsome Chocolate Emporium and Savory Feast Kitchen. A mouthful of a name. This restaurant is essentially the answer to the question, what if Cheesecake Factory was both chocolate and steampunk themed? And while I'm definitely not hyping it up in the best way, because that is so accurate. The food is actually good here, so I've dined here repeatedly and recommended it plenty of times. If I'm not going to Antojitos, I'm probably here, despite having a lot of feelings about, well, we're not even going to get into the characters, because they have characters and they are frightening. As for sweets, uh, going to Voodoo Donuts and bringing back a box of their specialties to the room for breakfast the next day is basically the move that everyone does. You'll see loads of people carrying their little pink boxes back onto the bus. And I recommend doing that as well because that way you have dessert and breakfast and their donuts are affordable and very well priced. If you are a Disney World person and you're thinking, not because of Tootsome, because <laughs> this is the rest of this, uh, if you're now thinking, wow, this place actually sounds great, I do think it's doable to visit even for a day out of my trip, you're in luck. Because if you do plan to visit, you're going to have to kind of be aggressive with your time, but I have two methods of approach for you. One is during your Disney World trip, you can take an Uber or Lyft in the morning. I'd say early in the morning. And if you do that, just make sure to map out what's most important to you in advance. Make sure you have a game plan going in even before buying tickets if possible, because that way you can figure out which park is best for you and your family to visit. If you are hoping to do two parks in one day while staying back on property at Disney World, it is doable, but I'd recommend having a rest day the next day in your travels. I would also, once again, make sure you have your priorities ranked. If it's essentially Harry Potter experiences and Velocicoaster, you should be good, especially if you stay from park opening to park closure. But if everyone wants to do everything, 
you might leave disappointed. And if you do choose to visit both parks for the sole purpose of Harry Potter and Harry Potter alone and taking the Hogwarts Express and doing it all, I'd recommend starting at Islands of Adventure Depending on hours at Universal Studios Florida because of Halloween Horror Nights during that season, I would recommend the opposite. But generally speaking, I'd recommend starting at IOA because Hagrid's is going to be the trickiest ride you have to conquer boarding-wise, and you want to make sure it's up and running and you can get on it. Also, I didn't say this, but definitely take that Uber or Lyft to Hard Rock Hotel if you're starting at Universal Studios Florida or Lowe's Royal Pacific Resort if you're starting an Islands of Adventure to bypass the absolute mania that is the main entrance and main security screening for the resort. You'll save time. You'll get to the park more quickly. You'll still go through security. No worries. But it's so much easier and will save you time and energy. You didn't hear that from me? Just, uh, just putting that out there. Now, the other option is that if you're still in the planning phase of your Disney vacation, I'd recommend adding at least one night onto either end of it and staying in Universal overnight so you can just be there and get right into it. Maybe even spread it across two days. Ideally, I think it would work best to stay overnight, hit the parks for a full day, stay overnight that night, and leave the next morning. Obviously, I think there is plenty to do, but if you're not sold on a standalone uni trip, it's a good way to just get a feel for the resort at a slower pace, either before Disney or after, without sacrificing that part of your Florida vacation before you hit the airport. As you can likely glean from this episode, I do indeed recommend staying here and making a trip of it, because the best part is that their hotels are way cheaper than Disney's, like shockingly so, and sometimes the theming is even better. Universal Orlando Resort has eight hotels split into four different categories. All hotels offer complimentary merchandise delivery for items purchased in the park, ability to charge to your room, park transportation, and early admission. Hotel guests can arrive one hour before Volcano Bay opens and up to an hour early at Islands of Adventure and Universal Studios Florida. However, they generally switch off monthly between which theme park has the benefit, and not everything is open, only select attractions. This is why spending the night, instead of visiting for a day while at Disney, can be clutch, because when Islands of Adventure has the benefit, it is stacked with early access to Hagrid's and Ollivander's Wand Shop and even Velocicoaster, which doesn't even begin to compare to Universal Studios' opening benefit of access to Gringotts and the Despicable Me ride. Every single hotel gets that benefit, including the two value resorts, Universal's Endless Summer Resort, Dockside Inn & Suites, and Universal's Endless Summer Resort, Surfside Inn & Suites. These two are kind of like fraternal twins. They're the newest hotels in Universal Orlando. They're related, but they're also uniquely their own. And the prices can't be beat. The best part is they even have multi-room family suites at a price point that is honestly wild. If you're on a tight budget, this place is much more preferable to something like Disney's All-Stars. And it's new. And as we know, mostly with theme parks, newer in terms of accommodations always tends to be better. The next tier upwards is Prime Value. Here we've got Universal's Aventura Hotel, which was basically designed for millennials and is shaped like a fidget spinner, and Universal's Cabana Bay Beach Resort, one of the best-themed hotels in the game. Personally, I don't ever want to stay at Aventura again because the rooms are stark and very small and feel like a Danish airport hotel, but they do have one heck of a food hall in the lobby if you end up there. Yet, at the same price point, Cabana Bay is a hotel that I love and have chosen to stay at in the past because their retro theming is adorable. Their suite style rooms are legit, and they even have fun amenities like 
a Jack LaLanne-themed workout room, vintage-inspired pools, a lazy river, and a bowling alley on site. The only hotel in their next preferred category is Lowe's Sapphire Falls Resort. And while it's plenty fine and I've stayed there and the dining there is pretty great, the rooms and experiences really aren't different enough for me from the others to recommend it significantly above them. It does have a boat to city walk, which is fun, but otherwise I would go low or go high with the premier tier. And in that premier tier, these are the three hotels you're going to find. Lowe's Royal Pacific Resort, Hard Rock Hotel, and the adorably Italian-inspired Lowe's Portofino Bay Resort. These three premier hotels are the best you're going to get, and they have free Universal Express Unlimited, the more expensive one, a value of $129 per person per day, which truly adds up. But not only that, these and Sapphire Falls, which we will include for this part, are actual hotels. There's a third-party company, Lowe's, which operates the resort hotels here, which means that there's actual hotel infrastructure, a far cry from the many idiosyncrasies of Disney's operated hotels, particularly at Walt Disney World Resort. One example, there's 24-hour room service at the Lowe's hotels, something that has gone from nearly every Disney hotel. And even at the lower price ones, they often have pizza delivery available until later in the night. It's just so nice to be somewhere real, where things just work normally. It's refreshing, and that's why I really enjoy staying here. In case you can't tell, I'm a huge fan of Universal Orlando Resort. I think it's tons of fun, and I think you should visit it if you have not visited before. If you have any other questions about the parks, the hotels, or anything else, always feel free to reach out, drop me a line at 747churros, and hopefully I'll be able to help you on your future vacation journey. Hi, Carly. I'm Austin. Uh, I'm from North Carolina. Long-time listener, first-time caller. So long-time listener and so first-time caller that I have many things saved up that I want to say. Well, specifically two, but I'm not going to put them all in this message, so it's not too long. First of all, I want to say that I just really, really appreciate the fact that you are such a beacon of uh, positivity and loving kindness on the Internet, which is a place that is lacking of both of those both of those things so often. Uh, and so I really appreciate you being that and also kind of a little portal for myself to visit Disney World and Disneyland. I feel like I'm there when I listen to your podcast and I don't get to visit very often. So I really appreciate that as well. Um, but I have a question for you. I think about this all the time about all of the things that I've missed out on, the uh, you know, years long of FOMO of I can't do that ride or that event um, because it doesn't exist anymore. So if you had a time machine and could visit the Disneylands and Disney Worlds of years gone by, what rides would you ride? What events and shows would you attend? Uh, what characters would you want to meet and greet? Not one thing specifically, but just anything. Just anything that you wish you could do if you can't because it's gone. Um, so thank you so much for taking my call. Thanks. Bye.
Yes, this is such a good question. Thank you so much for the kind words, by the way, at the start of your call. I, um, I'm very bad at taking compliments, so I kind of want to just be like, thank you. Uh, but I'm trying to be better, so I appreciate the things you said, and thank you. Um, again, I'm really bad at taking a compliment, but thank you. Thank, thank, thank you. Thank you. Now let's get into the bulk of your call, this very, very good question. Because the thing is, you would expect like a diehard Disney fan to be like, oh, I wish I could have gone on Horizons or like, oh, I wish I could have gone on Adventures Through Inner Space. But I'm out here saying, mm, not for me. I wish I could have gone on Rocket Rods because currently in like the current Disney fan climate, if you've been on Rocket Rods, you have some street cred. And I did not grow up on the West Coast. I went to Disneyland once before I was an adult. So I I had no experience going on them. And I feel like there's this delineation between like cool Disney fans who have been here, who are like the real ones who went on rocket rods. And I'm very sad to have not been a part of it. I'm truly very bummed about it. And I feel like the Disney World version of that is having gone on, let me see if I get the whole name right, Alien Encounter Extraterrestrial. Was there a, was there a word after it? Was it Extraterrestrial Alien Encounter? That's what it was. Um... I never, I never went on that, which was open for a while. So there was a much bigger window than with Rocket Rods at Disneyland. But still, like, oh, I was not in the game. I was not doing that ride. I was definitely not doing that as a child. And I'm so sad because that's another one where, like, I wish I could have been able to tell the story of what it was like. Now, your question was very open-ended, and there's so many things. Also, if anyone has one that they're thinking of, please call in because I'm so curious to know what other people think. But for me, like, the only meet and greet show experience that I am bummed I didn't see are <laughs> Miss Piggy and Kermit in their full costumes, like in their full, full outfits wandering around the parks. I would die for that. I would die for that, truly. I would bargain my life to be able to hug a life-size Kermit the Frog. That's all I want. That's That's all I want. So, you know, you just got to dream big <laughs> and dream for the things that clearly were not sustainable within the parks because nobody really liked them. <laughs> oh, what a good question. Um, I mean, listen, would I go on Horizons if I had the chance? You know I would. But yeah, I'm really, really focusing on rocket rods and uh, like a five foot tall Miss Piggy. That's just where I'm at. Thank you so much for your call. Thank you for the kind words. And if anyone else has stuff I really want to know, ooh, I'm going to be thinking about this all day now, all day. Hey, Carly, Renee from Ohio. I've called a bunch of times, but I just had to call to tell you that I'm laughing so hard at today's podcast on Disneyland about when you said that you are terrible on web slingers, like the worst one in the car, and same with Toy Story Midway Mania, because that is me every single time. doesn't matter whether I'm with adults, doesn't matter whether I'm with children, my daughter beats me, my mother beats me, and the kicker is that I think that I'm doing so well when I'm doing it. Like, I'm, like, I'm killing this. And then at the end, I have, like, 8,500 points. <laughs> and my wrist hurts at the end of Web Slingers and, actually, at the end of Toy Story 2. It's just a lot of work for not a lot of return. And I, not to, why do we do this for ourselves? I know it's because it's fun and we laugh and it's fun. But it kind of feels like torture in the moment. Anyway, I needed to commiserate with you. Uh, and just tell you I love the podcast. Thanks for all the stuff on Disneyland. Can't wait for all the new ones. Take care. Bye. 
Yes. Yes. I feel so seen right now, Renee. Thank you so much. I don't know what it is because when I go on Toy Story Midway Mania, I usually am with a group of friends and I try to find someone who's not competitive because I'm not playing that game. And I tell them that I'm going for accuracy, which is the thing that I do so that I don't have to compete and feel bad about myself. And I try to do accuracy and it goes pretty well, but I'm also kind of just playing alone, which is not the point. But on Web Slingers, I mean, I like I I have full control of my arms and like listen, I go to the gym a lot. Like I know I'm weak, but I thought I had enough strength to just like out little like little piles of goo. But for some reason, I don't know why. I always do one of the scenes and then I look at the people next to me and I'm like, what what game are you playing? Because I know the rules. I've reported on the rules and I keep trying to hit the right spider bots. And for some reason, I am so bad at it. It is embarrassing. So I'm very glad to not be alone in this. If anyone else wants to join the uh, Web Slingers Junk Club, like people who are not good at this, let me know. I would happily have your membership. But yeah, it's tough. It's a tough life when you're truly not good at gaming and put it on display in front of your family and friends. (laughs) Thank you for understanding. Oh, you get me. Hey, Carly, this is Ryan from Bellevue, Nebraska, and I called and left a message a few months ago earlier in the spring, which you were so kind to answer and uh, post on the podcast, which I was super excited about. I had asked about my parents were going to the Galactic Star Cruiser, and we're curious about the different paths you can take. So first, thank you so much for answering my question. That helped a ton and was really exciting. Um, but you had said to call with an update, so I was just calling to let you know that they loved their experience on the Galactic Star Cruiser. Um, my dad ended up being going kind of the scoundrel route and just um, being out for his, himself and doing, you know, whatever tasks sounded fun. And my mom started out as resistance and being a spy for the first or on the first order. But then she ended up flipping to the first order side at the end after being charmed by Lieutenant Croy. She just said he was so charming and loved that how he remembered her name. And I told her that is what the dark side does. They pull you in with charm. So I was very disappointed when I got a text from my dad when they were still there saying my mom had gone to the dark side. So I was not okay with that. But they did love their experience on the Galactic Star Cruiser and highly recommend it if you can swing it since it is so expensive. Um, But just wanted to call and give you an update and, again, let you know. Thank you so much for answering my first question. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. I love this call so much. Thank you so much for calling and providing us an update. I'm so glad they had a wonderful time. And I also love that your family went on separate journeys. I think that is very cool because Lieutenant Croy is very charming. There's something about that character that really, I don't know, you're drawn to, even though he's a little scary, even though he's a little frightening, uh, it's still, it's still a good time. I guess it's kind of why it's fun to meet Kylo Ren in the parks, even if you're a little like, ah, you're terrifying. Get away from me, Kylo Ren. Uh, Thank you so much for this call. I'm so glad they had so much fun. Oh, I love hearing that. Thank you. That's our show! 
Thank you all so much for listening. You can rate, review, and follow Very Amusing on Apple Podcasts and rate and follow us on Spotify. You can't review us there. I don't know why, but we welcome them at Apple Podcasts. And I appreciate them whenever they're nice. You can also give us a call day, night, when you wake up from a nightmare, when you're just, you know, taking a lunch break at 747 Churros. You can also send us a voice note. You can text it to 747 Churros or email us at 747churros at gmail.com. I will mention uh, leaving a voice note is the easiest way to reach us. Um, We sometimes forget to check the gmail.com account. Uh, I don't know. You know, um, blame my coworkers who are just uh, a sleepier version of me who has less caffeine. But alas, we will get to it regardless. You can also wear your love for this show on your shirt, which I'm currently doing. I'm currently wearing a very amusing cropped sweatshirt, and you can own that too by visiting very-amusing.com. We will very, very soon be updating the website with kids t-shirts, and I think we even did baby onesies, if I recall. I placed the order about a month and a half ago, so I'm blanking, but I believe we did baby onesies. Uh, toddler t-shirts and kids t-shirts which just arrived fresh from the printer so we will be updating the website soon be sure to check that out um, in the coming weeks to I don't know get a whole family fit to have your have people know that your kids are very silly and goofy even though all kids are silly and goofy so they probably already know that anyway you can follow me Carly Wiesel uh, at Carly Wiesel on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and you can also join the family at facebook.com slash groups slash Carly Wiesel This episode was edited patiently by Jeff Fox, and I'm sure we've done patiently before, but Jeff Fox has really really been patient during Guide Gist, so I just want to give Jeff a little tip of the cap, even if it's repetitive. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon. Sweetness, it's mom. I loved your podcast. I loved hearing your voice. I love the excitement. You put out the best information. It's so good. The guide is great. Um, don't get mad, but I think you should do a travel Disney book because you, it just is so good. I would love to see that, but I will leave you alone about that. Just because you know all the ins and outs about all the parks. As far as explaining the genie lightning lane, it's starting to sound more normal to me than when I first heard about it. I still miss Fast Lane or Fast Pass. I had that down. It was just show up. You did all the work. You always do all the work, which makes going so much fun because you do everything. You get up at 7 in the morning, and I just go along for the flow, and I do as I'm told. It's great. Um, the dining, great restaurants. A lot of those restaurants I have not seen or heard, or I would love to go with you one day. Hopefully, we can plan a trip and try out some of the new places. Um I do like that idea, which I think is genius, that you tell them four instead of three because it opens up for more options. Um, I know that this is only a lunch place, but I went for the first time with you a few weeks ago to the barbecue smokehouse at Disney World. Loved it. I just loved it so much. It was 100 degrees, and the smoker was sitting in back of us, and I was dripping, but um, it was really good, the food. Um, the lobster nachos at this other place, I'm not sure where you said that sounded really good. The rose water. These are cool things I would love to try. There's just so many places, but we'll plan something soon. That chocolate bar thing, as soon as you said how big it was that you needed people to share it with, I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to bring a Ziploc. I'm going to bring a freezer bag. I'm going to take it home. 
And the next sentence was, you put a freezer bag, you put it in a bag. We are so much alike, it just cracks me up. The dull Whip with rum sounds very cool. I would like to try that. But the churro toffee, I would have to try with you at Disneyland since it's only there. So you'll have to take me there one day to do that. This was a great podcast. I love you so much, but I do want to do a shout-out. Yeah, I do. I have a shout-out. First of all, that song, before I forget, that wedding song, okay, I did tear up. You might have to renew vows one day and use that song. I absolutely loved it. All right, to my my friend Tammy, who I love and adore, who's the sweetest thing in the world, who saved the message I sent for her. I have huge hugs for you, Tammy. Love you, and I wish I could see you and meet you one day and just give you a great big hug. You are a sweetheart, Tammy. For Kate from St. Louis, who is from Chicago, I love you too, and thank you for the shout-out, honey. And the Disney not Mickey or but Mickey, I couldn't make it out. I'm sorry. Of course I would adopt you. I always have enough love for you guys. I love you all. New merch is coming. I will expand, expand my wardrobe and fit some more very amusing because I am your rep. I wear this stuff everywhere I go. Hi, it's Mom again. I talked too long and I got disconnected. Would you please give me more time for my speeches? I called to tell you how wonderful you are and I get disconnected every week. So you have to make it an extra, like, 40 seconds for me. Anyway, safe, safe trip, honey. I love you. I'll talk to you soon, very soon. I love you. Bye.